storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, January 1st. We finally have new action to analyze on today's show as the 2024 season. It's officially begun to rock and roll, of course, before I break down any new tennis we've gotten to enjoy over the last 48 hours. I want to start today's show by wishing all of you listeners a happy and healthy new year. As we said throughout the course of December, we here at Cracked Rackets are well aware we wouldn't have the opportunity to do what we do, do what we love so dearly in breaking down all aspects of the tennis world day in, day out without the support we get from all of you listeners. We are immensely grateful that you choose us to turn to for all of your tennis analysis. We do not take that privilege for granted. We are hoping 2024 will be our best year of content to date. So before we get into analyzing any tennis we've seen unfold, I do just want to remind all of you listeners how grateful we are. And again, wish you luck, wish you health, wish you success in what Ever your goals are for the upcoming year. So Westoff, before we get rocking and rolling one more time, give me a happy new year sound effect for all of our listeners to enjoy. Of course, speaking of enjoyment, how nice has it been to have new pro tennis matches back in our lives? United Cup rocking and rolling now for the past few days, but yesterday things really got kicked off, right? As you saw, action in Brisbane, action in Auckland, action in Hong Kong at the Challenger WTA 125K level. We had tennis happening everywhere across the globe, and on today's show, as we like to do here on this mini break podcast, I want to set the scene for the week for all of you listeners, offer you all my first overreactions because, of course, I have a few from the 2024 season. Of course, before we do that, again, if you missed any of our off-season content, I promise it has aged well. You can find it all here on the Mini Break podcast feed. You can find it over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well as on the Great Shot podcast feed as well. A reminder, I will do my best Monday through Friday here on this show to have episodes for all of you listeners. I'm going to try to have more weekend editions of the Mini Break podcast here in 2024 as well. And then the big thing we plan on doing more of is showing you my smiling face. We are going to be on YouTube, our redesigned, renovated Crack Racket studio, hoping to be featured far more prominently in the content that we create. We're going to be more active on social media channels as we've gotten further access to some fantastic ATP and WTA content. The point is, if you're not already, subscribe, like, rate, review, not just this podcast, but the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel as well. You can follow us everywhere on social media for updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets. You want to follow me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin on Twitter. A thank you to all of you who have done all of those things already. If you have not, if you don't mind taking the first five minutes here of 2024 to do so, it would be greatly appreciated. Of course, what we also appreciate is the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, again, our agenda for today's show, I got to offer you every sort of overreaction I have accumulated over the first three, four days of United Cup action. I mean, right off the bat, I'm just going to tell you, even more pro-EGA perhaps coming out of these first few days than I was coming out of 2023. 
oh my God, has the world number one looked exceptional. We'll get into that. We'll talk about some of the other superstars from this United Cup performance, uh, superstar performances, excuse me, in United Cup thus far. Plenty of players I want to touch on. Rude, Chin Wen, Demon Hour, etc. Again, who has stood out thus far in the few, first few days? Who seems to have really put in that time in the gym? I know, again, it's overreaction season. It's the first week of a new year, but that's what we do best here at the mini break. So I've got plenty of overreactions for you as it relates to United Cup, of course. I noticed we've got Naomi Osaka. We've got Amanda Nisimova back in our lives as well. Two players whose talent has never been in question back competing hopefully full-time this year on the WTA Tour. How did they look in their 2024 debuts? That's something we can discuss. And then again, want to talk Auckland, Hong Kong, Challengers 125K set the scene for all of you listeners. Of course, a shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point for allowing us to do so. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. Let's start overreaction season with the United Cup. And again, for those of you unfamiliar with the United Cup, it's the next generation Hopman Cup. It's also been condensed from its inaugural 2023 edition in the sense that our 23-23 format in the sense, I suppose, that we're down to just one singles tie for the men, one singles tie for the women. A mixed doubles deciding rubber. And as I alluded to with Ben Rothenberg when we offered our top 10 American women's predictions for 2024. I like the condensed format. I said this in regards to Davis Cup last year. I love a one-day rush of drama. I love the idea of sudden-death mixed doubles for all of those fans who grind out a session between two teams. I just love, again, those two words. Sudden-death is not something you hear a lot of in a tennis format, but yeah, that mixed doubles match, if it gets there, is often for all the marbles, and you know, certainly we've seen a ton of three-set battles, a ton of third-set breakers ultimately decide these United Cup ties, so again, it's a unequivocal A-plus as an event for me. You hear all these players rave about the opportunity to compete in a team format, the fact that we have mid-match interviews, the fact that everyone seems to be mic'd up on the sideline, and we get things like Jessica Pagula in that Katie Bolter match saying, God, is she ever going to miss, or am I ever going to make a ball? You know, again, the expletives, the True emotion that is conveyed to us as the viewer. Just there's a lot of truth, dare I say, behind that. And again, it's it's such there's an authenticity, I suppose, that mic'd up and and a candidness that mic'd up format provides. So more broadly, because I'm I'm not gonna get into, you know, again, who's advanced to the quarterfinals thus far. What do the group play scenarios look like? We'll do that later in the week, but I can just tell you once again, an unequivocal success, this United Cup event. Hopefully it remains a staple of our lives moving forward because it's a really fun event to kick off the year, to have so many top players going head-to-head right away, particularly now that it is the top man, top women, uh, woman from each country competing in these matches. Let's start at the tippy-tippy top. I mean... Is Iga going to win all four slams this year? That's a question I legitimately want to ask after watching her dominate in her first two matches. 6-2-6-1 over Sarah Cerebez Tormo yesterday. It was, I believe, 2-2 two and two over Beatrice Haddad Maya uh, a few days ago back on Saturday, I should say. And, I mean, again, through two matches, she's dropped, what, seven 
total games in four sets of tennis. And look, we've seen these streaks from Iga before. For what it's worth, her and Hubie Hercots also 2-0 in mixed doubles. They won 0-0. Let me say that again. 0-0 in mixed doubles yesterday against Cerebez, Tormo, and Davidovich, Fokina. think it's safe to say with a result like that, that Hercots-Fiontech duo, they're probably the favorites to win the Olympic gold medal in mixed doubles this year. And let's keep in mind, it is an Olympic year, a race we will continue to monitor throughout the course of the season. But is there that much you can learn from a 2-1 or a 2-2 scoreboard statistically? Probably not. Ego was dominant in every sense, every fashion of the word. But one, she looks stronger. Like she just looks that much more fit. Not that she's ever lacked fitness. Not that she's ever lacked strength. You know, the moment we saw Ego Sviantek, her ability to hit the sliding backhand, her ability to move in and out of corners. It's always been elite, dare I say, even second to none. It's just another level right now. Like, I'm pretty sure both matches were two all in the opening set, and then Iga from there just found the gear. She hit cruise control. She ain't playing around. Like, just dominant. Dominant, dominant, dominant. She took every lefty forehand Hadad Maya left in the strike zone and was just turning through the backhand so freely. She was just exploding through her plus one forehands. I mean, again, Cerebus Tormo doesn't really have the pace to hurt Iga. That's a matter of discipline. And, you know, again, from start to finish, Iga had the discipline for the Haddad Maya sense of things. Haddad Maya does have some weaponry. Haddad Maya can play plus one tennis. She can move forward. She can play on her own terms and disrupt your rhythm. She was just never able to do that. Iga finding the down the line forehand to keep Haddad Maya honest, keep her from cheating over. Iga's just, I mean, again, Her backhand has always been once in a generation. Her return skills have always been once in a generation. But, and I said this, I think, with Ben earlier on on a show a couple of days ago. 2023 offseason, 2022 offseason, excuse me, every top player in the world was scheming. How do I beat Ego? What do I do to disrupt her run as the world number one? It's very clear, 2023's offseason Iga was the one who got to scheme. Iga is the one who, with her coaching staff, got to say, okay, here's how all these players are playing me. Obviously, you gotta they got to be bold. They got to play plus one tennis. They're going to try and attack my forehand more so than the backhand with pace because they're not going to get anything free from that Sviantec backhand wing. And again, through these first two matches, it's just Iga as the one doing the damage, being the one asserting herself, being the forceful presence. I don't... There's just a little extra chutzpah. Sorry to invoke the Yiddish. That's when you know I'm excited. There's just a little extra chutzpah behind everything she's doing. I think her and Hubie are the favorites to win this event because Iga's going to be up 1-0 on every team, and then they've been that good in mix. There's their pathway to two every time. Iga and Iga and Hercots. It feels like we're calling, talking college tennis. What's the match calculus for all of these teams? I mean, again— you got Hubie Hercots as your weakest link, and let's be clear, Hubie's one loss was a 6-4 in the third loss to Davidovich Fokina. I don't view that as a bad loss to start his tournament, although for what it's worth, three-set versus Sabeth Vild, who looks fit, who's hitting the ball well, and if they're going to allow him to play, even with some of the off-court issues lingering amongst him, I do think the former junior U.S. Open champion is a top 100 player still. Sweet baby Rays. Has Iga looked good? Again, Poland, I believe, has already clinched their spots in the quarterfinals. If they haven't, they are certainly my favorite to advance and perhaps win this United Cup. But look, Iga's not the only one who's impressed. And again, I want to kind of rapid fire through the takes here. We're not going to go into the weeds and 
talk. Oh, it was that 30-15 forehand from Kasparud, you know, in the fourth service game of the match that particularly he missed that forehand at a 16% clip last year more frequently than he did in 2022. We're not getting into that nuance yet. It's week number one. Allow me to speak more broadly. Casper's just got it. Like, the, the difference, and I know Gil Gross pointed out how much he, he won back-to-back matches here last night. The win over Chorich uh, in his first match, Casper had a pretty definitive victory as well uh, as he knocked out Greek Spore in straight sets. It took him, I think, two or three months to win back-to-back matches, maybe even longer than that. Might have taken him till the clay court season last year until he won two matches in a single event. But it's just a different Casper route. Like, he just looks fit. He looks focused. He looks lean. He's hitting the backhand so purely. He's hitting through his forehand so extensively. He's just, he started this year so clearly in a better rhythm than he did last season. And look, he was so open last year at the start of the year about how he overplayed in the offseason, how he didn't prioritize things correctly in his mind to ensure that he was peaking at the start of the season. But you know, keep in mind, Kasparud's fallen outside of the top 10, right? Kasparud, I think, enters the year at number 14, I want to say, in the world. Maybe it's 11. I think 14's a little low. Kasparud, yeah, currently 11. Uh, good second guess, Alex. But he's fought off five of six break points that he's faced. He's won 80% of his first serve points in both of the matches that he's played, and he's made over 60 percent of his first serves in each of those matches as well. He's just been dominant, and last night he was just better than Chorich at everything, even the backhand-to-backhand discipline. Chorich didn't lose those backhand-to-backhand exchanges, but he didn't win them either. And for Casper, it's all about, again, the backhand. It's more than a placeholder, especially with his ability to keep opponents honest by taking it down the line. He's gotten more and more comfortable playing slice as well, but he just looks fit. He just looks focused, and the focus is perhaps reflected on how well he's doing the little things. The 25-year-old, again, cleaning up behind his first serve in his opening matches. He's been one of the standout performers thus far from an eye test perspective. He just looks fit. He looks focused. He looks outstanding. The other blowing me away with flying colors player of the United Cup event, because I could talk about everyone, and there have been a lot of wins, and Certainly, again, plenty of things to discuss. We'll rapid fire through them after this last name. But, I mean, she's been tier one for me now for two years. And certainly with how strong she finished last season, I think a lot of us would have put her on a list of, if not breakout players of the 2020. Because she's already broken out. She's already won a most improved. She's already been a top 20 player. But if anyone's going to make a top 10 debut in 2023, unequivocally, unequivocally, it's Jung Chin Wen. Like, there's just not a doubt in my mind. And to see Chin Wen start off in the fashion that she has to get the win over Danilovic in a dominant 4-2 fashion, but perhaps more impressively, for her to beat Marketa Vondrosova, 6-1-2-6-6-1, in her opening match against the Czech Republic, her power is just overwhelming opponents. And I've said this before, for someone as powerful as Chin Wen is to move as well as she does in and out of the corners, obviously she's got the serve, the plus one game as the play setter to set up everything else she wants to do. I know it's a new coach for her. She's back with her original coach. I apologize. I'm blanking on his name, but it's an eye test thing. The ball is just coming off of her racket. Hot. And everything is in rhythm. Marketa Vondrosova was never able to 
I mean, again, I guess she was able to disrupt the rhythm by going deep into the bag of tricks, the drop shots, the slices, the short angles. I don't know if she gave two topspin balls consecutively to Chin Wen in that second set and more than just like four or five points consecutively. Like whenever Von Drosova had the opportunity to change speeds, to change placement, she was just doing everything she could. As the kids say, through the kitchen sink at Chin Wen. 612661, the young player from China, ultimately advances. Again, if anyone is going to make a top 10 debut, I think it's number 14, Chin Wen, who, by the way, as good as she was to end last season, 37 and 19 overall. Yes, she made a semifinal in Abu Dhabi, but keep in mind, prior to, so May 8th is when she made the Rome semifinal, and uh, Rome semifinal, excuse me, Rome quarterfinal from there. Again, things started to really pick up for her because she did deal with some injuries in the back half of last season, but let's be clear, between the start of last year all the way to that Rome uh, event, she really doesn't have that many points to defend. 13-8 and eight overall, she made a semifinal in Abu Dhabi. That's a good result. But that's it. Like, those are the only wins she has to defend. She didn't play Indian Wells last year. Yeah, she made round of 16 at Miami, but she's going to be higher seed at that event than she was the past season. And I just, I she's making top 10. I, I think Chin Wen's making the year in finals. Like, the tennis I see from her, the combination of power, athleticism, and just, there's a little swag to it as well. I'm buying all the Chin Wen stock. Everyone's buying all the Chin Wen stock. She's 21 years old. She made the finals at the Zhuhai Elite Trophy event last year. She's the real deal. But man, I test-wise, you can just tell. Again, the end of last season wasn't a fluke. That was a preview or a foreshadowing of the Chin Wen's, that's, uh, the Jung Chin Wen that's to come. So she has been a standout performer for me, no doubt about that. And again, we're going to rapid fire now through the rest of the takes here as I look at players. Who has looked good? Sasha Zverev, Alex Zverev, whatever you want to call him. He's fit. He's focused. Three sets over Manorino yesterday. Manorino looked good as well, but Zverev's just back, and he's unequivocally my fifth player, best player in the world until someone proves me. Otherwise, Layla Fernandez continues to rock and roll, and Layla ended last season so strong. She's only played one match so far at United Cup. We've only seen her, and it was against a significantly lesser opponent, but the way she was able to assert herself, take the ball early on the rise against Senegal, the fact that, uh, excuse me, Siguel, the fact that Siguel wasn't able to hurt her, like, all signs point up. I think it's when, not if, Layla gets back in that top 25 conversation. And again, she's still so young. I know it feels like that 2021 U.S. Open final was forever ago, but if you're, if you're, do I think Layla Fernandez is an unequivocal top five player? I don't because I don't know if she's big enough and has the totality of size, speed, strength, ability to dictate on her own terms and not just redirect or be re- be proactive as opposed to reactive. But her speed, her ability to take the ball on the rise, the beauty of the contact point, she's clearly a top 20 player. I just, you know, again, will that U.S. Open final be her only slam final given how good some of these other players who have emerged over the past two years are? That's an open question, but she is someone who you continue to see stock up trending from last year. Speaking of stock up from last year, yes, he lost 7-6 in the third in his first match to Cam Norrie. I love what I've seen from the Demon. Great win over Taylor Fritz yesterday. By the way, there was a note from Paul Anacone if you were watching the Tennis Channel coverage of United Cup. Anacone, who obviously works with Taylor Fritz, he mentioned the injuries 
that were nagging Fritz at the end of last season. Kind of made the point that Fritz is going to have to work himself into elite shape to start the season. Didn't quite get the fitness regimen I think he was hoping for in the offseason. And he does look a hair slower coming in and out of his corners. I just don't think he is in prime season condition quite yet. He might have to play himself into shape, as Anna Coden seemed to allude to. But, man, you're, you know, again, you can't play yourself into shape against Alex Demonauer. Demonauer is just going to make you work. He's hitting the backhand so much more confidently. And, you know, again, the forehand, it's a weird pancake eastern grip. Yeah, you can attack it with elite pace. He's just moving so well. He brought the energy last night in front of that Perth crowd. And, you know, again... I that was a very solid start for Demonauer to make me think, hmm, maybe he is a top 15 guy now. Maybe he stays at this level, unequivocally one of the 10 best players I think we have on hard courts on the ATP Tour. Maybe not unequivocally, but belongs in that discussion, was top five in hard court wins, obviously, last season. He's looked well. Jessica Pagula, who got a win yesterday, hasn't looked the best thus far. But again, to get to the other half of the Demon Hour, Katie Bolter, power couple we have in tennis. Oh, my God. Like, who is this Katie Bolter? Where did she come from? I know she won a tour-level title last year for the first time. I know she's sitting at 56th in the rankings, which the 27-year-old career high. And again, maybe that's where she should be, given age-wise. She's probably in the prime of her career, I know many injuries she dealt with early on, but she looks like the reincarnated version of Belinda reincarnated. Benchich is still out there doing her thing, but like just her ability to take that forehand early on the rise, take everything on top of the baseline instead of letting that ball get into her body. Oh my God. Like if this is who Katie Bolter is going to be from the baseline this season, that's a top 30 player. That's someone with weapons from the ground that is just going to make lesser players' life miserable because she is swinging so freely. And, you know, again, for Bolter, it wasn't just the win uh, over Jessica Pagula that felt particularly notable. No, for Katie Bolter, it's been two good performances. She looked that good against Isla Tamjanovic in her 2-4 and four victory in the opening match of the event. So... Katie Bolter stock, again, if your overreaction is that Katie Bolter is one of the 25 best players in the uh, is one of the 25 best players in the world right now and will make a round of 16 at the Australian Open. I'll tell you what, if she keeps this level, she 1,000% will. The last few, you know, rapid-fire thoughts here. Davidovich Fokina, same. Hercons, same. I thought George looked pretty good thus far, but, you know, again, other than the players I've mentioned, I, I think that's really it. Like that, I get Paulini good. Oh, it's been great to have Angelique Kerber back in our lives. I know she took a couple of losses, three sets to Caroline Garcia, three sets to Jas, uh, straight sets, excuse me, but a very tight four and five against Jasmine Paulini as well. Given Kerber's been out with the, for a year, fitness wise, she looks like way better than I expected. Yeah, the serves hanging a little bit short, but. Man, what a comeback from Kerber. And again, more broadly, God, do I love just the energy, the enthusiasm, the passion that surrounds this United Cup event. I think it's been an unequivocal success thus far. And certainly we'll continue to break it down with more depth throughout the course of the week as we get into the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. I promise I will start talking things like, oh, I really like that 4-2 
down the line return at a 30-40 spot. I, you know, again, to start talking about those sorts of specifics. But if you want those sorts of specifics, we can get into our tour level action that we've seen unfold thus far. That's where I want to go next here on today's podcast. Let's start with the ATP action in Brisbane because my favorite match of the last 24 hours. I know what some of you are thinking, Alex, wasn't last night New Year's Eve? In the United States where you're located, don't you have friends or family or partying or things you want to do out on the town before a new season begins? No. You know what I want to do? I wanted to sit my derriere down on the couch and enjoy a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous evening of tennis, which, by the way, my parents and brothers were there to enjoy as well. But there's no place I'd rather be than enjoying some spectacular opening season action. And again, I know it's our job here at Cracked Rackets to provide you all with this sort of content as all of you perhaps restart your working lives here over the course of this week. Get back to, dare I say, the real world, not just the Christmas through New Year's stretch. That is always such an enjoyable and, dare I say, stress-free week, I'd hope, for so many. Um, I mean, again, just, oh my goodness, like, some of the action in Brisbane last last night was just simply sensational, and perhaps first and foremost above it all, like, if you were to build a match for me to enjoy on night number one of the season, Roman Safulin versus Ben Shelton, that's the match to enjoy. And I know we never got to our rising stars or the make or break players. There are still some off-season topics I will clean up as soon as I am back in Indianapolis on Wednesday, Thursday, because, you know, again, I am with my parents. I am with my brothers. I do want to spend some time with them. And obviously today, it's the day of days. Michigan taking on Alabama. Go blue. We're going to win this college football semifinal. We're going to get to the national championship. It's going to provide me another week of distractions. But... There were no distractions last night from start to finish. My was on the couch or in my bed watching Roman Safulin versus Ben Shelton. And, ah, 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 oh, that's the good stuff. I mean, just inject that match right into my veins. And look again. I'm not going to get into the two superficial. We don't have to get into all the shot choices that were. You know, again, I saw the Ben Shelton double fault 3-4, 30-40, or maybe it was 15. No, 30-40 was a double fault to seed the break to Safulin. Safulin let out a little grunt. Shelton objected to that in the handshake, said, man, why you got to do that? Why you got to celebrate my double fault? Totally justified for Shelton, but obviously that's more self-frustration than anything else. Anyways... You guys know I'm all in on Romo, and very quietly, as I tweeted out Shelton's breakout 2023 season, it slapped us all in the face. When he makes a slam quarterfinal and a slam semifinal, wins his first tour-level title, does all of this in his first 12 months or 18 months, if you want to include the Challenger 2022 success of his pro tennis career, there's a re- you know he's hanging up the phone on Djokovic and he's getting Djokovic to mock the celebration. His breakout slapped us all in the face. Safulin was another breakout star of 2023. The 26-year-old unequivocally a career year. First quarterfinal at the majors came uh, at Wimbledon. This is a guy who ended his season at a career high, number 39 in the ATP rankings. And the 26-year-old is a former top-ranked junior in the world. He was the guy in his generation, not Medvedev. Rublev was a really good junior, but not Medvedev or Hatchinov. It was Safulin and Rublev who were supposed to be the next faces of Russian men's tennis. And obviously, it's been a little bit of a slower burn for Safulin. A lot of that was injury-related. But you're not going to find 
20 players who strike the ball more purely from the baseline than Sefulin. And last night, Sefulin put together a clean sheet of tennis, saved all five break points that he faced, won 88% of his first serve points, his ability to hit through the forehand, his contact points are just so beautiful was really smart with his spot serving as well. Go back and watch all the 30-40 points, the 30-all points, the most significant moments of the match. That Sefulin serve was going into the forehand of Ben Shelton because Ben's better on the backhand return. I've said this many a times. He's more condensed on that wing. It's a little bit easier for him to take a shorter backswing, drive through with the forehand because it is a little bit bigger. It's got a little bit of a hitch. You can jam that ball with pace. He'll pop something up for you whenever Shelton pops something up. Sifulin's taking that ball on the rise, moving forward, striking the ball so purely. Like Again, Romo is one of those guys to me could be a breakout star this year, could take another jump into the top 25, into the top 20. The hot take, if you're really pro Sefulin, is that he ends the season as a top three Russian, that he surpasses one of Medvedev, Rublev, Hatchinov. Now, they're all top 15 guys, so that's a really big ask, but I'll tell you what, Sefulin has the goods, and you just look at the way he his trend lines. Finalist in Chengdu to end the season, lost to Zverev. Shanghai, round of 32, beats Murray, beats Zverev. Three-set loss to Shelton. By the way, he's made amends for that one here. Qualifies in Paris, beats Alcaraz, makes the round of 16 before the three-set loss to Hachinov. I'm pushing the poker chips in. It's going to be a big season for Roman Sefulin if healthy. He will end the year ranked higher than 39. And, you know, again, much like Jung Chin Wen, Oh, I guess he has a challenger title to defend from the end of January. But other than that, he has, what, one tour-level main draw victory to defend until Madrid. One tour-level main draw victory to defend till Madrid. He's going to be top 30 in the world. He's going to be top 25 in the world, and his level reflects that. So, again, shout-out to Fuel. And by the way, all that applies to Kasparud as well. Given how much he struggled to end last season, he perhaps more than anyone until we get to defending those French Open final points, just a clear-cut runway to getting back into the top 100. Anyways... I'm not concerned about Ben. Like, I actually thought Ben looked a lot better last night. Gave up two breaks of serve. Like, was it a little concerning that the inability to play well on the return points, again, something that plagued him mathematically, certainly throughout the course of last season, that those issues continue to linger? Yeah, it's a little bit of a problem if you're a Ben Shelton fan, but keyword there is it's a little bit of a problem. Like, I thought the forehand looked better. I thought the backhand looked better. I thought he played more consistently. I think he's still finishing volleys with the same chutzpah. Still very, very much pro-Ben. It would have been great for him to get a win at this Brisbane event, particularly given he's got Australian Open quarterfinal points to defend. But I'm sure we'll see him in Auckland next week. And, you know, I'm just... One loss. This was not a bad loss for Ben Shelton. Roman Sefulin is really, really good. This tells me more about Romo than it does about Ben. But that was my most notable match on the day. Again, it was just scrumptious, scrumptious to start things out. The other results we had, how about Holger Runa? Like, I've said this before, and it's a colloquialism used by the kids, but Runa's just got that dog in him. Like, he just does because the whole Brisbane crowd was pro-Max Purcell, and how could they not be? He's a he's an Aussie. Aussie's gonna support Aussies. You get it. 
Purcell just makes you so uncomfortable with the serve and volley, the constant push forward, and it was a little frustrating, clearly, to Runa at first, who went down an early break, who was struggling to play on someone else's terms of engagement, but once Runa found that rhythm, he found that rhythm, and so, again, credit to Holger. I thought he played really solid tennis down the home stretch. He does seem to have put on, like, three pounds of muscle on his arm. Like, he just looks fit. He looks lean. I would expect another big Holger season. The only time he struggled last year was when he wasn't healthy in that post-Wimbledon pre uh, through U.S. Open stretch, but he's just got that dog in him. Like, he just does. It's a guy who just knows how to win in every possible sense of the word and can, can just find a way to be one shot better than you, whatever that shot requires in any given rally. And again, people who have that skill set, that mentality, that's typically what takes takes the great to the elite. And I just think that's the conversation Hogaruna belongs in. Anyways, really good win for Alexander Shevchenko. Uh, again, a guy who's trying to consolidate his top 50 spot, the 23-year-old, uh, now up to a new career high, number 47 in the live rankings. He gets a straight set win over Von Asha. Alexi Popperin, who won his uh, a title in Umag, excuse me, last year. He's trying to consolidate his top 50 spot, uh, Popper, and right now you look currently sitting at uh, number 41 in the rankings. He gets a first-round three-set victory over Chris O'Connell, a little Aussie on Aussie crime. Then last but not least, man, it was crazy to see Grigor Dimitrov outgrind Andy Murray down the home stretch, but Dimitrov did just enough to get Murray stretched into the outer thirds to make that match so physical, and you could tell once Murray got broken and went down in that second set, 7-5, that he just, he wasn't going to have that. You could tell he knew he didn't have the juice in him to pull that match over the finish line in three, Grigor remaining as fit as any player on tour, and that was the biggest thing down the home stretch. Again, Grigor was so good. I How many times did I say in the month of December he was unequivocally a top 10 player to end the year. The statistics said so. The ELO rating said so. The eye test says so. What do top 10 players do? They grind out victories. That's precisely what Dimitrov did. 4 6 7 5 6 2 to reach the second round in Brisbane. And right now, your favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, perhaps unsurprisingly, it's Grigor Dimitrov. 33.6% chance of taking the title second after him, Ugo Umbert who's going to take a qualifier, Alex Mickelson. I didn't spend enough time talking about the young American who I just consider Bambi right now. Like, no doubts about his tennis. The question is just how much will he continue to progress physically? That's the question on my mind. I imagine it's a lot of yours as well. He's at 14.1%. Runa third at 134 That's because Runa's quarter is brutal. He's got Sebastian Corda in the quarter, J.J. Wolf, Yannick Hoffman, guys who can, Shevchenko, all guys who have done a lot of of winning of late. Uh, again, that's a really fun quarter of the draw. Safulin's quarter is wide open. Like, he's got Popper in next. The highest seed is Baez. You've got Matteo Arnaldi in this section of the draw. He's going to take on Fucevic round one. Obviously, the thing I haven't talked about, we're going to get the Rafael Nadal return to the singles court. Rafa taking on Dominic Team in round number one. We saw Rafa knocked out in doubles. How will he look in singles? I am certain that will be one of our leading stories on tomorrow's podcast. But again, it's a really fun draw in Brisbane. Considering a lot of top dogs are playing United Cup, you've also got the action in Hong Kong as well. Brisbane is still probably probably from a men's centric. If you are looking for just ATP action, that's the best draw to watch. Uh, certainly, again, some really fun results here on night number one. We'll continue to monitor that event throughout the course of the week. I do want to stay in Brisbane now to talk about the women's side of things. And 
again, the biggest storyline maybe yesterday was the return of Naomi Osaka. Now, how much of that being the biggest storyline is driven by the fact that our dear friend Ben Rothenberg happened to populate my Twitter feed so frequently, and that's unsurprising about the Osaka match, given he just wrote the book on Naomi Osaka, Naomi Osaka, her journey to finding her power and her voice, a book you can hear reviewed thoroughly with Ben here on this podcast feed or any of our Cracked Rackets podcast feeds. Look, I'm going to keep it real simple. When Naomi was in rhythm, when the, when the ball was in front of Naomi Osaka, when she was able to, again, keep that ball in front of her, keep her movement in rhythm, keep everything in step and where it was supposed to be, she looked like Naomi f***ing Osaka. Like, she still strikes the ball as beautifully as anyone. She, more, you know, she is the reason... I thought of Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club because her, Serena, the original OGs of were holding over 80% of the time, always. Now, look, did she blink serving for that match, serving for that second set up 5-4? Uh, absolutely. Korpatz was able to break back. Korpatz had a set point. Osaka ultimately 6-3, 7-6, able to get through in straight sets. It's a significant win as it sets up a date now with 16th-seeded Karolina Pliskova that we're all going to be locked in on. And again, was her movement a little bit out of sorts? I did think it was a little bit easier for Korpatz to hit behind Osaka and kind of expose perhaps a lack of fluidity that will happen anytime you have as long as a layoff as Osaka did. Obviously, she's coming off of having her first child. But man, just some people know how to hit a tennis ball. And Naomi Osaka is one of those people. And I apologize again. This is a more condensed summary of what we saw from Osaka last night. But we just Korpas didn't have the weapons to knock Osaka off rhythm frequently enough, and when Osaka is in rhythm, she is still Naomi freaking Osaka. So was great to see her return to the court. Was great to see the return of Amanda Anisimova as well. And I believe that Anisimova match is actually a match that happened in Auckland last night, but in the spirit of returning to the court. How about Anisimova? Five and four over Anastasia Pavlochenkova. It's the exact same scouting report. Again. Amanda Nisimova, if she ever wins a major, we've got a, a property currently being developed in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club for her. There's just no doubt she is one of those elite ball strikers, can play elite power tennis with her size, uh, to her length was able to outpower tennis Pavlochenkova. I will say fitness-wise, I don't think Anisimova is where she needs to be to be a consistent top 20, top 15 player. But boy, was I encouraged by what I saw last night. And I also saw our dear friend, Coach Mark Lucero, in her coaching box. I think that will be terrific influence on Anisimova, someone who's just calm, collected, rational in every thought, and just the sort of steady guidance I would be looking for, certainly. So credit to Amanda Anisimova. Great to see both her and Naomi Osaka back, two players who absolutely can catapult themselves to superstar status. Let me say that again, superstar status in our game. That's how talented they each are as ball strikers. Was great to have them back in our lives. But again, in terms of the other WTA action, because it wasn't just those two on court, you look at the totality of results in Brisbane, just to rapid fire through, and I'm not going to lie, I watched less of that, then United Cup, and 
you know, again, I've talked about the big matches thus far, so I suppose it's kind of rapid fire the rest of the way here. But good win for Marta Kostyuk. Three sets over Anna Bogdan. Again, it's a match she should win, but one to get on the board. She would be maybe one of my make-or-break players this year. We'll get to her and why I think if she's going to be a superstar, I need some sort of significant high-level result from her. Kostyuk going to have an opportunity to deliver one of those results, taking on Daria Kasatkina in round number two. Buxa, three-set winner over Minin. Georgie, three sets over Stearns. That match looked exactly like you think it did. Watch out for Anna Kalinskaya. Ended the season really strong. Wins a title in Midland. 2-1 and one over Bernie P. Bernardo Pera in round number one. She's a name to watch. Rodiana, uh, Rodianova, straight set winner. Schmidlova, three sets over Caroline Dalahide. Uh, Daria Savi, ending the run of qualifier. Diana Yastremska, straight set win. Then last but not least... How about Miran Threfa? 16-year-old, 2-3 and three over fellow Russian Diana Schneider. She handled the pace of Dai Schneider well. She's moving well. And Threfa can do everything. Again, it's when, not if, she's going to be a constant, dare I say, top 30, top 25 status. And one of my goals is, I feel like I've never done the definitive Mira and Driva my thoughts breakdown of her game. What's the highest upside, et cetera, moving forward for her. So we'll do that at some point. I imagine in 2024, there will be some result that requires us to offer that deeper breakdown moving forward. So again, those are my thoughts on all of the Brisbane results, but man, we got a lot of good ones coming up, even in round number one, like Naskova still to play, Baptiste versus Collins. If you listen to Ben Rothenberg and I talk about the top 10 American women, those are two players absolutely in contention for a top 10 spot come the end of the season. And then, I mean, once we get to round number two, Kostya Kasatkina, Georgia Stepanko, Pliskova, Osaka, Samsonova, and Driva. Like, sign me up. Sign me up for all things Brisbane, the WTA 500 event, which, by the way, features top seed Arena Sabalenka, second seeded Elena Rabakina. Uh, we got plenty of juice in this draw. And right now, those are your two significant favorites. Sabalenka, 29.7% chance of winning the event. Elena Rabakina, 26.4% of winning the event. Next closest after that, the 8.8% of Ludmilla Sampsonova. That's your action in Brisbane. In Auckland was a massive victory for uh, Emma Navarro to kick off her 2024 campaign, the rising young American former NCAA champion, grinding back from an early set deficit, 266462 win over Linda Fruvertova. Now, we discussed the Fruvertova struggles plenty. The 18-year-old had a really rough stretch in the middle of 2023. Began to regain her rhythm, though, to end the season. Quarterfinals Ningbo, quarterfinals Hong Kong, quarterfinals at 100K in France as well. She's got fourth-round Australian Open points to defend. That is a significant front load for the 18-year-old who right now finds herself at 85 in the world. Will likely drop outside of the top 100 once those points fall off her resume. Tough loss for her. Emma was, uh, Emma was the more physical player. She, again, prolonged that match enough to make it a track meet, and that's really encouraging for Emma because I do think she can do a little bit of everything on the court. What's going to make her life easiest at an elite level? That's the question maybe we look to answer this year more than anything else, if she even has that sort of skill set to be elite of the elite. But there's no doubt Emma Navarro is very good at everything, as I continue to allude to. So good win for Navarro. Good wins for the two Chinese Wongs, Wang Xinyu, Wang Shiyu, dare I say, lefty and righty, as Ben likes to, and 
Others in the tennis colloquial like to refer to them because they are the same age, they are from the same country, and their names are one letter apart. So, again, the genesis of that nickname for those of you who are curious, they each get victories. Wang Xinyu, who was one of your breakout players last year, straight sets over Putenseva. Wang Xiyu, 7-6 in the third over Jacqueline Christian. Good wins for her. Good win for Diana Perry, by the way, the former top five junior in the world, young French woman. Still young. Three sets over Amina Bechtis. Boy, I'll tell you what. Bechtis might have top 100 staying power. Not the most fluid mover, but I always re- I always forget how cleanly Bechtis strikes the ball, how big those weapons are, how assertive she is in moving forward in the court. Again, a little too inconsistent yesterday, but the weapons were there. Good win for Avanissian. Good win for Bojkova to get things going. Three sets. Serenko, a straight set winner. And then, as mentioned, Amanda Nisimova already won. But by the way, this is your most lopsided event we have at the tour level this week as Coco Goff, the defending Auckland champion, is a 61.8% favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. Next after that, you'd have to go to Serenko, who's at 10.8. I will say, why is... Coco Goff such a prohibitive favorite right now. It's because probably her two biggest contenders, Caroline Wozniacki, Alina Svitolina, they're going to go head-to-head in round number one. Svitolina, the two-seed Wozniacki, an unseeded wild card. By the way, right above them in the draw, wild card 2021 U.S. Open champion Emma Raducanu returning from injury. Look, I, I saw our dear friend David Gertler say this draw was nishkit, or in non-Yiddish terms, not good on Twitter earlier today, but... I love this draw. Goff versus Claire Liu, round number one. Forget Linda Fruvertova, who already got knocked out by never uh, by Navarro. You have Brenda Fruvertova, maybe the more talented of the two, the younger sister who is elite. Uh, she'll take on Blinkova in round number one. A lot of Kayla Day looking to establish her, consolidate her top 100 spot again. Anissa Movas and Radakanus and Wozniakis and Svitolinas. There's plenty of storylines to enjoy in Auckland. Maybe that wasn't David's point. It is clearly the weaker of the two draws, but I wouldn't call it a weak draw or an un- uh, lacking entertainment. Like Plenty to enjoy as we get ready for Auckland to unfold throughout the course of the week. And you know, Last but certainly not least at the tour level, how about Hong Kong? I won't lie of all the highlights. This is probably the ones I spent the, uh, the matches. This is probably the one I watched the least of yesterday. Only four round one matches thus far in the book. Go watch Jerry Sheng save match point in the third set breaker to see him move forward in that position. The 18-year-old from China, the the chutzpah, dare I say, the gumption to hit a half volley backhand stab deep into a corner and draw an error out of Laszlo Jera. You know, Shang ultimately 7-6 in the 30 wins, 10-8 to advance. I mean... It's funny because like he he always looks so exhausted after long rallies, and he's always playing these long rallies, and he's always playing these marathon matches. But I'm in on Jerry, as I talked about with Damian Kust in predicting top 100 breakthrough players. I think Shung is he's going to clearly be a top 100 player at some point in his career. The question is, does that breakthrough happen in 2024? Does it happen in 2025? Pencil me in as someone who would wager 2024 is the year it occurs. I just Every, all the weapons looked a little bit... They look as polished as ever. He's just moving a little bit better to him. A little more explosive in and out of corners as well, which was an issue for him perhaps a little younger in his career. So, great win for Jerry. Great win for Botik van de as well. Was down an early break to the always talented ball striker, Shincharo Machizuki. It's just a little bit tough for Machizuki to generate his own pace consistently. He's great at absorbing, redirecting, taking that ball early on the rise, but... 
Man, Botic just made him uncomfortable. Good win for Botic to get back on track. Uh, good wins for Katov, Rusevori as well. For what it's worth, this is probably the weakest of the draws, but even then, top seed Andre Rublev, 41.4% chance of winning the event. After that, Karen Hatchinov's your number two seed, 9.5%. Tiafo's the three at 8.6%. Straw's still sick as well. Like Rublev, Hatchinov, Tiafo, Francisco Sarundolo, Arthur Fee, the talented young Frenchman, obviously, who we all have circled as one on the rise. He um, is someone to look for as well. It's going to be a really fun week at the ATP level. Buckle your seatbelts, folks, and WTA as well. It is, again, fireworks. We're starting 2024 off with a bang. And that right there, folks, is probably the title for today's episode. So there you go. Last but certainly not least, let's talk Challengers WTA 125K events here to quickly end it. My favorite streak of results yesterday came at the Canberra Challenger. I think all of Lloyd Harris, David Goffin, Gabe Diallo, Jakub Menchik, Michael Moe, and Brandon Nakashima. Six players who won round one matches at the challenger level yesterday. Those are all top 50 players to end the season if you wanted to be really bold. Certainly, I think all top 75 players to end this season. I don't think that's a bold take as all. I think we've seen all of them except for Menchik and Diallo be top. So four of the six have been top 75 in their career. Far from a hot take. You've got Dino Prismich in that draw. You've got Zach Sveida in that draw. Emilio Nava in the draw. The Canberra Challenger is as fun of a draw as any we have in the business this week. So keep an eye out on that one. And then, you know, again, you've got the O'Aris Challenger, top seed Henrik Roca, number two seed Joe Sosa. You've got the new Maya Challenger, where top seed Richard Gasquet advancing in round number one, two seed Constant Lestien. Guys, obviously, who have been top 100 guys. That's a fun one to watch. And then how about Nantha Burry? Challenger number one, certainly one to keep our eyes on as well as top seed Dennis Novak already knocked out. But again, four challengers, certainly plenty of tennis to keep us all entertained. And then at the WTA 125K level, again, how about Clara Tawson versus Victoria Golubic? That's a round one match. And more than anything, I just need to see, um, I need to see toss and play a tournament start to finish without getting injured i want to see her at her healthiest so hopefully we get that sooner rather than later um yeah uh it's a fun event again top seeds golubic second two seed now habino plenty of things for us to enjoy throughout the course of the week but folks it's the opening week of the 2024 season. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And certainly, we are excited to kick off our coverage here at Cracked Rackets as we will continue to provide you day-in, day-out updates here on this podcast, not just this week, but of course throughout the course of the year as well. And why can we do that? It's because of the support we get from all of you. It's because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. And of course, it's because of the support we get from our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a <laughs> of an ending job to do day-in day out making all of our content possible so a massive shout out of course to him uh and a thank you to all of you again i hope all of you enjoyed ringing in the new year in whatever fashion you deemed most appropriate hopefully again this podcast will help you get prepared for the start of another exciting season in the tennis world but with all that said for our fantastic super producer daniel west off our friends at tennis point at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex ruskin you know what we say that's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.